0: This morning, as I was preparing and praying about what the Lord would have us share today, um, in the last couple of weeks, um, the Lord's been speaking to me about the kingdom of God. And you might say, well, the Lord speaks about that a lot, and he does. In fact, that's what Jesus came for. But sometimes we skim past it. And the Lord was talking to me about the scripture in, um, in Matthew 6, where Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. So I want to start with that and see where the Lord takes us. Is that okay? Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, and I'm reading from the NIV, and I'll read, I won't read. I will read it all. Actually, what I would recommend to all of us is that from uh, ver- chapters 5, 6, 7 of Matthew is... A package that Jesus—it's all Jesus talk—and it—it's it, it's the picture of kingdom life. It's a picture that Jesus explains through those, as recorded in Matthew's gospel, uh, a picture of how king how kingdom is meant to look for us. So, take the time to do that if you've got a good commentary to go with it. It's 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 life-giving because the kingdom of God is God's life here for us through Jesus. But this morning I want to bring bring us to a focus. And, and that is about seek first the kingdom. So I'm, I want to start in uh, chapter 6 from verse 25. It, it's already gone through giving, prayer, fasting, money, and this bit's called worry, and that seems to sort of be an umbrella that most of us get to walk under at some time. So Jesus' words are as follows from, John, from uh, Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's Jesus' message to all of us for all time. And the... The focus is seek first the kingdom of God. In Romans 14, verse 7, Paul also speaks of this and and highlights it in there. It's meant to to be that we, we seek that the kingdom of God becomes our priority, not added on to our life, but that we seek to have an engaging with God in his kingdom in his rule and reign and that is where if we give our whole hearted attention to engaging in and with the rule and reign of God that's the invitation that Jesus gives us and yet for many people myself included over the years at different times we tack it on rather than have it be the priority we kind of have our life picture and our life plan and we run with it and we then ask God to kind of bring his kingdom along with us, to bring what we want under his power to help us get what we want. And that's the wrong way to do life according to what Jesus says. And you know, I was thinking about it this morning, You know, Jesus came to earth as man, he left his godness behind when he came to earth and became he came to earth as man. And And he and God had a deal that he would do that and he would leave his superpowers behind. And he came as a man. But he came with a growing knowing that it was all about the kingdom of God. There were certain intrinsic things, I'm sure, that he got from the spirit direct. But a lot of it was what he was taught by his um, earthly parents and he embraced what he was taught and he became faithful to that. And his, his embrace of the kingdom of God was what was paramount to Jesus. He said it in, in John 5, 19, it's recorded. He said, I can only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus was so given to the kingdom of God, to the rule and reign of God, that that's what he was on about. That's, that was where his focus was. And his life was empowered by that. And his life became the life that was perfect, that was able to be then sacrificed for our freedom. And so in our living, rather than tack on the kingdom, if we cause it to be our choice, to be our first focus, the kingdom of God would come alive in and through us and around us. And as the church, we're called to be kingdom of God manifest into the darkness and chaos of Satan's domain. That's who we are. That's, that's our role as church is that we manifest in the earth. Manifest means have it become real in the earth to be God's rule and reign in the earth through us as church. It's not going to come through the world because that's the darkness. This morning I had a little event happen when I got here. Nathan came and asked me if I had a key to a cupboard. And, I, and I'd just gone down the road and early before the coffee was happening here and, and grabbed a coffee. And I walked in and Nathan said, you got a key? I said, sure. And, and I went to look for the key and tipped my coffee over, didn't I, and spilled it all in the prayer room. And uh, thank you, Lisa, for coming and mopping it up after me. I really am blessed by the way you did that. And as that happened, I thought, you know, it's interesting that this is the church and we have areas that are locked off and I thought that's interesting it's a bit like life you know we have areas that we lock off and we kind of need keys to get into them but we keep the key in our pocket and we don't always open up those areas and the Lord was saying to me that when you do go to open up those areas sometimes it gets messy it's like you spilt the coffee but you need to open up the areas for the whole place to have the light come into all of it You get the analogy? From a spilt cup of coffee, the Lord was saying to me that there's parts of our lives that we lock off. And he said, I want to unlock all those locked up parts to let the light come in, that the rule and reign of God can come in, that the priorities that are in God's heart would become our priorities. And then the light can shine into every part of who we are. There is no shame. We, We sang it this morning. When the light comes, the shame goes because... It's all about Jesus. And so our priority, by God's design, is that we would choose Jesus as our priority relationship. And And this is not simply a, okay, yeah, I'll do that. But it's it's to be a wholehearted yes. Let your kingdom come into me first, Lord, for your glory and then for yours and my delight. Because there is there's a delight that comes when the kingdom of God is the navigation and power in our lives. We don't, we, don't, we don't discover life in all the fullness that Jesus says is ours unless we let that happen. We shortchange ourselves. The end game is that we were designed to live in the rule and reign of God as a perfect place of life in all its fullness. Do you get that? That's the design. That's the creator's design. And and the creator's design is perfect. And so his perfect design for you and for me is that we would live in this priority relationship with Jesus and through Jesus with the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit and that the rule and reign of God would then be the rule and reign that is manifest in our lives. And it's going to look different for you and for me. There's no cookie-cutter kingdom of God plan for all the world other than Jesus is Lord. There's a unique, and I don't know how God does this. He's got an awesome computer. He, he's able to keep track of my life plan and yours individually, separately, and he does it. I can testify to that. I've seen it. My life is proof of it. The times when I've thought I knew what I was doing and I obviously didn't, And God sort of helped me through those things. And I go, wow, how how on earth did that happen? I'm going to share a story with you, which this is a true story. And and Wendy's here and she can testify to the truth of this story. Now, this is spirit stuff, okay? Are you okay with me talking about spirit stuff? Because we're here. That's who we are. We're spirit people. In 2011... In 2011, we went to Italy with a gentleman who had a real passion in his heart to see the country he came from be rescued out of the darkness. And he was seeing the Church of Jesus in Italy be crushed by other other religious bodies and groups. And his his heartache was that he saw his, his home country. He'd been living in Australia for 60 years by then, but he still had an ache in his heart for his home country. And so we went and prayed with him through parts of northern Italy in, uh, early in 2011. And we felt stirred to go back. And the Lord provided all this. I, I mean, I don't know how he did it. If I look back, it's like, how did that happen? But it, we went back in the August, uh, late August of 2011. And a couple of other folk from within the vineyard, not in this church, but one from Perth and one from Westside actually came with us, all at their own cost, to pray. And worship, and we decided we'd rent a room in the hotel, and we'd worship there each morning, and we'd sing songs which we'd prepared, and just have a little devotional time, and declare the Lord's presence over this part of the country, and be, that it could maybe, if it was in God's heart, it would become a birthing point for revival into Europe. You know, and that was what we thought we were supposed to pray for. So as we're praying, Wendy had a picture of. A very strange picture, but it was of a man, our friend, had had this um, wolf um, skin, including the head, on his head and all the way down his back. Now, I've never seen that before. And when he described it after the event, I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. And then she said, but more than that, I saw this man sort of comatose. And then she said, and then I saw lots of these out in the, in the marketplace, and that was the picture. We'd never seen this sort of actual picture of anybody that Wendy saw in the spirit. We get home, we prayed, and a lot of amazing things happened. We get home, and she turned on the television, and lo and behold, up comes a person with this wolf skin on them. It was a Roman soldier. It's like, wow, how cool is that? So that was a picture from the Lord. It was so clear. It was identical. And so we thought we're on something here. Now that's 2011. Nothing much has happened in that time to 2019. But this week, the Lord was stirring me about praying for the church. And my friend used the word to me a couple of times. He says, I feel paralysed when things change. And I went, that's an interesting word, paralysed. And so I started making notes on my whiteboard at work and underneath paralysed wrote down a few other words that I felt like the Lord was speaking about. And then it was, it wanted to cut off life. Oh, that's interesting. So we felt to pray that day about paralysis and a spirit of paralysis shutting down countries of origin in particular this one but then also shutting down churches and shutting down individuals the Lord started rolling out the plan of how to pray and how to cut off this spirit of paralysis from over the church so we prayed for it for over the nation we prayed for it for over the vineyard conference I haven't told the guys down south this so you're getting on the inside story here and then we prayed about here and we prayed about ourselves so you go, okay, that's fair enough. But let me tell you the clincher. That was on Thursday at work. Wendy went home, put on the television that night and she went to watch a program that she couldn't find and then a program pops up and guess what was at the start of it? A man with a wolf cloak on him. She'd never seen that from 2011 to 2019, the day we prayed, that night, the Lord showed us a picture, or we'll showed her a picture, of what we prayed. This is what God is doing today, folks. He is wanting to lift the paralysis of our thinking off us, and He wants us to be able to engage fully awake with the kingdom of God. The things of the darkness can no longer lock parts of you away. God wants you to be fully alive to the things of the kingdom of God. You get it? It's critical. God has that plan for us that we would be alive in Him. It's not a it's not a now, it's not a later thing, it's a now thing. The, we, will, we will be able to see in the Spirit the way we haven't seen before. We'll be able to pray with confidence because we will have the kingdom of God as our priority. You know, <clears throat> our circumstances in life are not a direct reflection of God's love for us. I prayed this for someone last week. The Lord spoke to me and just said, you know, when life gets tough, we sometimes get sucked into this thought that maybe we've done something wrong and God's trying to deal with us. Ever ever never thought of that? Ever, ever thought that way? I have in the past. I'm better now than I used to be. But when things go wrong, you go, oh, you know, I messed up. And so therefore, you know, I've got to go and say, I'm sorry, God, for messing up because that's caused this mess. Now, sometimes it does. But 90% of the time, It's not God that's doing something to you. It's the circumstances we live in where the darkness is raging against the light that causes the chaos. It's not God dealing with us. God's love is forever for us. It is unconditionally for you. So even if you make the greatest mess of something, it's a mess that's being dealt with in the spirit realm here, not because God's trying to deal with you. You've got to get that. We've got to know that. You know, there are storms in life. And I, as I was writing this and reflecting, it was like there's two storms that I related to in the Bible immediately. One was the storm on the Lake of Galilee where Jesus was asleep in the boat. And the other one was the storm where Paul was on the ship and it was going to be shipwrecked. Both storms, both had God involved. The first one, the disciples were going, we're going to drown, we're going to drown. Jesus woke up and said, it's all right. Told the storm to calm and they were like... Ooh, cool, who is this guy, really? We thought we knew him, but even the weather is under his control. And then there's the second story of the storm where, uh, where Paul is being taken as a prisoner. And and the, the the ship, I won't go into all the story, but it sails against the best advice that was from Paul saying, I don't think we should sail even though he's a prisoner. He said, I think it's going to get bumpy out there. So anyway, they said, no, we've got to get there, so... You know, away they went and the big storm comes and they thought they were going to be drowned for sure. But an angel appeared to Paul and he said, no, you're going to be standing in front of uh, Caesar. So you're going to survive and not only you, but everyone on this ship. It's in Acts 27, I think, from memory. And so he says to the ship's captain, we're all going to be okay. You can, let's have a big feast and throw everything else overboard and then we're going to be fine. Now, that's a pretty weird sort of a way to treat us in the middle of a big storm. But they did that. And sure enough, the ship ran aground and those that could swim, swam to shore. And those that couldn't got planks and got to shore. 264 of them, I think was the number in scripture. Not one perished. God said they'd all make it to safety. There were Two storms. I, I'm not sure which one I'd have preferred to have been in, to be honest. Probably the one with Jesus. It would have been a little more immediate, like, thanks, Lord, you fixed it. Whereas the other one was a long, drawn-out rescue from the storm. But the circumstances of the storm had nothing to do with God's love for those guys. It was something that was happening as a result. In the, in the storm in the boat, the enemy was trying to drown the disciples. No doubt about it. And Jesus said, told the storm to stop it. He, had, he said to the darkness, quit it. The other one... The angel came and with a message to Paul and said, it's all going to be okay, and it won't happen, and, and there will be a, a way out. So we need to hang on to the Lord in the storm and rebuke the storm, not feel like the storm is going to win. Now, sometimes it looks like the storm wins. Sometimes life doesn't work easily or well for what we think is best. And that's where we run into this now and the not yet. We don't know why, we don't fully understand, but my lot is to continue to say, Lord, I trust you, you are faithful, and I continue to ask for his kingdom to come. The battle that we live in every day is one where we are encouraged to declare and know the Lord's victory. His victory is complete over the works of darkness. And us knowing that is really critical in the storm. Knowing his voice is important. But most importantly, I believe, is to know his heart towards you. That's what I yearn for as I've gone through life, to know God's heart for me. And he reveals his heart more and more, that we would know him. And when we know him, we know that he's 100% for us not against us. He's 100% against the enemy and he's given us his victory authority to exercise against the darkness and all the plans from the enemy's camp. That's important that we know that, that there's nothing that's bigger than God and we need to stand in his victory. Jesus has said, I have overcome the world. So the key is to trust in the storm as we declare Jesus' victory and look for his deliverance over the darkness. Our life journey is meant to be fueled by the Holy Spirit, God in and with us. We can shut God down or out by our choices. Now, that's something that, you know, I used to think that God was sovereign and he'd push past me, but he doesn't. He lets me come to my senses. The story of the prodigal son, the father, picture of God, let the son go, let the son be stupid, let the son waste all that he'd been given. But the father was waiting for him to come back. And the scripture story tells us it was when the son came to his senses, it was like, duh, the lights have come on. It's good back with my father. It's not so good here. So we went back and what happened? The father was waiting and looking for him to come. I just love that part of the picture of the prodigal son. Here's this son that's been gone for a long time. But every day the father's looking for him to come back, waiting. And saw him in the distance, it says. It wasn't like he was standing around thinking, oh, well, maybe my son will come back. He was looking for him as he's been looking for me and for you every time we wander off in our own stupidity. He's waiting for us to come back. And when we come back, I love the story. The the prodigal son's rehearsing his request for forgiveness. He doesn't even get to open his mouth. And the father says, welcome home, son. Um, It's so good to have you back. He, He was restored into the relationship by the Father. That's the Father. That's God. That's who we have communion and relationship with. So he doesn't shut down on us ever. He yearns for us to have communion with him. So, Lord, have your way in us, we could say. That would be a really good prayer, wouldn't it? Have your way in us, Lord, because his way is good for us. The enemy would want to tell you otherwise. The enemy would want to remind you of the times when you've thought, God, you've let me down. Well, you haven't done what I needed you to do to make it all right for me, Lord. I've had those times with God where he and I are on different pages, But I have learnt something. He's always on the right page. It's my page that's wrong, not his. Sometimes I'm way ahead of where he wants me to be and sometimes I'm way behind where he wants me to be. But there are those times when I'm right there with him and they're the ones I celebrate because it's like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't give up on me, that you didn't give up on me. Even when I didn't even know God was meaning for me to talk to him about it. But where we are with the kingdom of God is fundamental, that if we have the kingdom of God tacked on, life is not the way it's meant to be in God's heart for you. Where it becomes our priority, where we have that as our focus, life changes. In this world, in this day, priorities are sold to us and told to us to be, well, first and foremost as your family and then you've got to have your job and then you've got to have all these things sorted out and then you tack God on. Well, that's not the best way. And I I love my family, I love my wife, I love my children, I love my grandchildren. But if I tack God on to that, I'm shortchanging them. If my number one priority is my relationship with God, then what comes to me from the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit makes my relationship with them so much better. It's the way it's meant to be. might seem a harsh point, but it's a really, really important point. Our number one priority, no matter who we are, is meant to be. Seek first the rule and reign of God in your heart. Not just in your mind. There's a difference between seeking it in your mind and seeking it in your heart. Your mind is fickle. Your heart is fickler sometimes, but, but it, it's meant to reside in the core of who we are. Our heart is where the kingdom is needing to come alive, and then it flows from our heart. Jesus, the, the word tells us, streams of living water will flow from within us when, the kingdom is, uh, when we're born again. And when we're born again, the kingdom of God comes. And so then streams of living water will flow out from us. Because resident within us is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We've said yes to him in our hearts, not just in our minds. I gave myself, my, my life to Jesus in my mind many times before I finally gave my life to him in my heart. There was a lot of good stuff happened when I said yes to Jesus with my mind, but it wasn't until it went from there to there and it really changed me that I went, wow, this is different. And so I've, I discovered that seeking the kingdom in my heart is what makes the kingdom come. Does this make sense to you folk? I hope it does, because it's really important. The kingdom of God, alive and manifest. I, I've asked this morning for one of our newer members of the church, who John Woodworth, who has been here for a couple of months, and John's come to our kinship group, he and his wife Michelle, I asked John if he'd come and and share a brief testimony of how the kingdom of God came to him. Welcome, John. Come on down. Give John a clap, folks.
1: Um, Yes, so thank you, David, for the invite. I I love talking about uh, God, Jesus, and the whole um, kingdom of God. Actually... Um, Our sister here talked about love. I actually had some notes here and I've I've got down, God is love and all those who love know God. So that's one of the themes and I'll be talking about protocols too. (laughs) So um, just to whet your appetite, um, my story involves um, struggle with drugs, um, hold-ups with machine guns, a cave in India, a Hindu guru and Jesus breaking through all of that. So God is a big God. Um, and his mercy um, lasts forever. Sorry. So um, what I'm hoping, and I was was praying about how this message applies to everyone here today, if you've got a loved one in your family, if you've got a friend, a colleague at work, who's far from God, who might be struggling, whose life might be in a mess, pray for them because um, it was prayer... The prayer of my mother particularly and um, other people that prayed for me when I was on this crazy journey that brought me to the knowledge of God. That was my own prayer as well. So um, prayer is communication and we've got a hotline. You know, God's only a prayer away. He's, he's right there. As soon as we open our heart and our mind, God is very real. just got to unlock this. i un- get my notes. So it says in the Bible that eternal salvation is to know God. That's Jesus said, and this is eternal salvation that you would know me and the God who sent me. Now, I know there's a Prime Minister called Scott Morrison. I see him on TV, read about him in the papers. I know he exists, but I've never met him in a shopping centre and shook his hand. So there will maybe come a day where I can say, I know Scott Morrison. And it was a bit like that with, um, with Jesus. I knew there was this historical Jesus uh, I was brought up a Catholic. Um, I think a lot of the nuns thought I was going to hell. Some of them even told me that. Um, I, I was a you know A-grade prodigal. I was a rat bag as a kid and that continued into life. Um, newspaper journalist, got into heavy drinking, um, lots of drug taking. Um, one of the big moments in my life was Cyclone as a as a... Um, younger person, it demolished a house around our family. We were in this house right on the border. We had no protection. The roof went, the walls went, the glass sh- uh, shattered and came at us through the walls. The tiles pulled in on us. This is all happening in the dark. Um, the torch went out. It was like a horror movie. After that, Dad started drinking. He didn't have enough insurance, so we lived in a house with a tin shed in Townsville. With um, he had some insurance just to get the roof on, but he didn't have enough for furniture or to finish it. He started drinking with some of the insurance money. Domestic violence, um, a lot of shame. You know, um, and I did, I just hated being at home. That was you know there was just always bickering and yelling and screaming and fighting, and it was um, not a safe place. It was not somewhere that I could bring God home to. Um, so that was my reality the irony is mum and dad both found their way to God but by that stage I'd run away from home as a young person and pretty much fell into a life of drugs and sex and drugs and rock and roll that was my life that's what I lived for I lived for the moment had no spiritual thought at all didn't think about eternity long story short I end up in um, Thailand and you imagine my mum, so here's her son who she knows is heavily involved in drugs, going to the Golden Triangle (laughs) and you imagine how much she was freaking out and on her knees. So um, the inevitable happens, Um, walking between villages one morning, some robbers come out of the bush, out of the jungle, they're wearing army camouflage, One's got a machine gun, one's got a pistol, another one behind me's got a big machete and a pistol behind me. And um, so I have a machine gun loaded I see the guy unlock it and he points it at me and I think, this is it, I'm going to die. It's like time, you know, cliche, time flash, yeah. It was like everything went in slow motion, it was surreal I was panicky, I was thinking this is it, that's the, that's the end of the story, what happens after this. And in that moment, um, things changed in a spiritual dimension. I must say that at, this was early in the morning, so I was going from one village to the next and I wasn't high. I wasn't hallucinating, this was, I was straight. I was on my way to get high. Um, and yet in that moment, I felt for the first time in my life a supernatural being... Um, I couldn't see it, but I could sense something just wrap itself around me like a cloak. A bit like the Get Smart, you know, the cone of silence, and nothing can touch Get Smart because he's under this. <laughs> a few people remember. Um, and I just felt invincible. I just felt I'm not going to die. This is not going to end up with me dead. Um, and the fear of death actually evaporated. I, I just I couldn't explain it. And um, so after the robbers left... Um, I had a lot of questions. You know, if I had been shot, if I had died, would I have gone to heaven or hell? What, what did my life amount to? Is there a God of justice? Um, and I, I pretty much knew where I was deserving to go. So I wanted to get a ticket to heaven and avoid the penalty of hell. That was my consciousness. Unfortunately, um, being intellectual, I tried to solve the riddle of life why are we here? Why are we on earth? Why do I breathe? Why do I have consciousness in my own strength, which is humanism, which is rampant today? People trying to solve the riddle of life through their own intelligence. So I delved into Buddhism, I delved into every ism, communism, socialism, read about Mahatma Gandhi, um, read about evolution. I was on this quest and I didn't know in the Bible there's a verse that says, "Knock, and the door shall be open. Seek, and ye shall find." Well, I was seeking, but I was looking in the wrong places. But God's merciful. Three months after the holdup, um, I arrive in India. I'm in Rajasthan, which is right out in the like out the back of Burke. It's a wilderness area in the desert. And I find a Hindu guru who... um, He's in one of the guidebooks, so he's a bit of a celebrity guru. And um, so he's got dreadlocks. He does heaps of yoga. He had a face that looked like a lion, which is really weird. Um, And, yeah, well, he invited me to become his disciple. I said I was looking for God and looking for truth. He said, oh, you become my disciple and I'll teach you Nirvana. That was the deal. So I did cooking. Um, he had a steady stream of um, guests and, and, you know, so I'd make the tea and um, I paid him an allowance for, for my food and lodging. So when I say a cave, it was probably half the size of this building. It was whitewashed and it had a, um, like a floor made out of cow dung and mud, which sounds gross, but it's like cork. So they come in and they eat, um, had electricity. So, you know, it, it was a civilised cave. But it was still pretty cute. Um, so after three months of doing lots of um, yoga, um, smoking lots of hash, um, I went through the Hindu rite of baptism. I had my head shaved. I got the little tikka dot, burned all my western jeans, which are pretty smelly, and got the Hindu sari and um, became, you know, full-on Hindu. I, I got a mantra, you know, and... What we don't understand is the Hindu religion is very much about um, elitism. So if it, by doing that, I became a Brahman, which is the top level, and they look down at all the other castes they call it. So it's a bit like England, where you had the high society and the work, you know. So there's an element of pride that comes in with that. And anyway, long story short, after three months of living in this cave, I didn't have any experience of God. Um, I was going. I was getting bored. No, nothing was happening. I wasn't finding anything. And one day, I just happened to find the guru in my room, going through my backpack and stealing the last of my traveler's checks. <laughs> and I was just devastated. I got angry with him. Um, I was stuck because I had no money to get out of this place. I, had, I didn't have enough money for a bus ticket. So. Soon after that I'm sitting on the floor in this cave and I'm lost, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm beating myself up, how could I be so dumb, how could I be sucked in by this charlatan um, and I was saying I don't want any other person to tell me about God, I'm sick of reading about it in books and I basically said God if you're there and you exist I want to know you, if you're real you've got to come through. Um, so God's got a sense of humour. So in my mind, I hear this little voice, John, stand up. And I got angry, you know, I was a hard head. And um, I'm still fighting against God and I, I, I cry out to the God of the universe if you're real and you say, stand up. What's standing up going to prove? You know, so I, <laughs> I was a real hard head, he <laughs> asked my wife. And um, after I'd calmed down, maybe after five minutes, I thought, well, If I want to walk somewhere, I don't say, John, walk over there. Maybe God is trying to communicate with me. And what have I got to lose? And I probably took the very first step of obedience in my life. I actually stood up. And the love of God hit me in that moment. And I've done lots of drugs and lots of, you know, and it was a million times better than any... Static thing you can get from uh, an artificial source of joy or peace. Um, it was a cleansing. I, I wept. My baptism was tears. I, I wept for my life and what I'd done. But God is very gentle. He was replaying parts of my life and saying, "You're going to have to go and say sorry to that one. You're going to have to, you know, take those goods back." Or you know, like it was a, re- it wasn't your dirty little sinner. It was, hey, you were born to live better than you've been living, and we can do this. So it was a, a good news. Um, in that instant that the, the love came on me, I had a picture of Jesus on the cross in great agony, covered in blood, just piercing eyes, just looking at me. And I knew he knew everything about me, totally accepted me, and I knew that my faults and my failures had put him there in that position and he was taking my punishment. He revealed that, the good news to me, it was—I I describe it as—he took all of my yuck, and he gave me all of his goodness. And I just thought it's so simple. The gospel message is so simple. We don't, have, you know, we just got to believe in what he's done, in in the power of the blood. You know, the blood covenant that he's cut with the Father because he loves us and he doesn't want to see us punished. And it's so simple. It's so, Why couldn't I find this before? <laughs> And um, I look down, and here's a little Gideon's Bible. I don't know if you're familiar with about that big Psalms, Proverbs, and New and New Covenant, New Testament. And um, the irony is, on my leaving Australia with my backpack, my mum had given me the family Bible, which um, I never read. I, well, I think I opened it once at Leviticus, and it looked like hieroglyphics, and. Oh, it was, just did my head in after about two verses. I'd carried that from Townsville to Darwin on a sailing boat up to Indonesia and I sold it to a Muslim. <laughs> I got good money for it. I got about, a, you know, $50, which was a lot back then. Because in a Muslim country there's very few Bibles. So it was quite a valuable book and it was nicely bound here. So that was my first Bible that had been given to me, which I never read. Now there's this little Gideon's Bible... I don't know how it had got in the cave, who put it there, how long it had been there. It had a big cigarette hole through it from somebody defacing it who was angry with God knows what. Um, but there was enough in it to still get the gospel. So I opened it at random, and they have red letter, so that's the actual words of Jesus, uh, a bit like this one, where it's, you know got black text describing it, and then the red text of what Jesus actually said. And I happened to stumble on the page where it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but through me. So I'd sought, I'd knocked, and I'd found. So I put together the heart experience of the love, the vision of Jesus, and the, and the scripture. And I was, I was born again before I'd even knew what the word was. You know, I'd never. Um, being a good Catholic, I'd never read the Bible. So that's um, that's the mercy of God, and that's the miracle of God, and it's still the good news. And I, I love sharing the good news because it's just so simple. Um, our mission on earth is to discover God. That's why we're put on the planet is to get to know God, to love God, and then to love others. And it can be hard to love people. Even with the best of intentions, people can be prickly. They can misunderstand our motives. So we need a lot of wisdom uh, and a lot of patience in loving those who are unlovable. Um, Hurting people hurt people. And um, you might go to give someone a hug. They may misinterpret that. So we've got to be very wise in how we represent Jesus and how we spread the message. yeah, so it was just an encouragement to keep praying for people. Um, the, the Bible says, um, believing comes from hearing, hearing comes from the word of God, and how will they hear unless one is sent? So I've been an evangelist for 30-odd years. Um, I'd love to share a few more of those stories with you one time, but over to you, David. Thank you very much for listening.
0: Thank you, John. Thanks, Mark. God bless you. Thanks.
1: <laughs> the the
0: power of the love of God reaches past the walls that we put up, reaches into the searches, and Jesus' invitation is, seek first the rule and reign of God. And so that's the message this morning. And the promise is the love of God will come and will change your life. And so... Thank you, John. Appreciated your sharing, mate. And and it, it again, underlines the things that God does that we can't grab hold of in the natural. The story I shared about the spiritual revelation that came through prayer in another nation and how God has confirmed it. The story here of how God broke past all of the mind stuff, all of the practices, and broke into the heart. And finally, when we say yes... He comes.